Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. If you have a Bible, would you open it please to the Song of Solomon chapter 6 and beginning in verse 4 because I have quite a chunk to take tonight. I want to take you through chapter 6, 7 and the beginning of 8 all within two or three hours. So we've got to keep moving, all right? Now, I'm aware that I've only got 30 minutes, so we have a fair bit of ground to cover. And I'm thankful for the men that have come before me and preached it because there is a lot of repetition in 6, 7 and 8, a lot of the metaphors that we've already covered, so we won't have to spend a lot of time on those. And uh, I'm thankful for that last song. What a gift God has given to us in our humanity. I don't know about you, but I've looked at the book of or the Song of Solomon a number of times and have wondered why would God put that book in the Bible? It seems so odd and so out of place. I've been around pastoral ministry for over 25 years. I've never preached it. It's always been up there with Revelation, a bit tricky. But it, actually, as I've looked at it, it actually makes complete sense that God would talk about intimacy, that God would talk about marriage and how marriage plays out, that God would talk about how we work physically and spiritually. It makes complete sense that he would frame it this way in the scriptures in such a poetic and beautiful way. It makes complete sense that God would redeem our intimacy, our sexuality from the pit that has been taken to through the fall with Adam and Eve, the distorted way that our intimacy has been reflected in our communities. And no more than today, where we get a lot of our understanding of what intimacy is through social media, and it's utterly, utterly distorted and broken. And that God would speak thousands and thousands of years ago with such clarity and with such beauty, with such poetry, with such holiness, and reorientate our thinking again to this is what intimacy is all about. This is who I am as a person. This is how God has made me. This is how God wants me to express myself within my community. Whether I'm married or whether I'm not married, this passage speaks to us about the holiness of God and about the wonder of our intimacy and the wonder of the way we work. We need to approach it that way. We need to be mindful to go back to the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were joined together in holiness before the Lord and enjoyed him and enjoyed their sexuality and enjoyed intimacy. This is a gift of God to us. And we want to redeem that tonight. At the same time, come to a deeper understanding of what this passage says. We won't touch on all of it. There's too much for me to take you through. And that's a wonderful, wonderful disclaimer. That's like what Vincent did a few weeks ago when he preached. He said, I've been asked to preach on this, but I'm actually going to preach on that. And so we now have a, we now have a clause where we can change the message at will if it doesn't suit us. So I need to tell you there's some things in here that I don't understand. Um, and I'm not alone. There are men who run rings around me. Uh, theologically and in study of God's word and they have come up short and said they don't understand it either so don't expect me to have a crack at it you can just live with your own stuff on that one I'd like to pray for you and then I'd like to read some stuff to you and jump in let's pray together Father thank you for the privilege of being able to gather here tonight I thank you for the opportunity for worship I thank you that you are altogether wonderful I am in awe of what you have written down I marvel at how you reflect your glory and your holiness, your creativity, 
your beauty through this passage. I thank you for speaking to me about myself and how I live out intimacy in my life and how I live out my sexuality in a way that honours you and brings glory to your name. And I thank you that you are altogether beautiful. Intimacy, we can go to the first slide. I hope you can read that. Intimacy is much more than our desire and pleasure. Intimacy is not an end in and of itself, something we can use for our own fulfilment. When we come before or become one before God and seek to honour him, intimacy becomes a, a natural part of a relationship where each person is compelled to be a blessing to the other person. It is a mutual building up of each other that results in gratitude to our maker for the gift that it is. Where the world talks of meeting our urges, what God has designed reflects back his glory. The world has a totally, utterly, you must start here with me, utterly broken foundation when it comes to their understanding of intimacy and desire. What we need to do is we need to take our bodies and all that God has made and the way that we express that in the bounds of marriage, the way that we express that in the bounds of being single is we need to lift it up and hold it against the gospel and look at it through the lens of the gospel and it actually becomes something much greater than just a natural urge. It becomes something very pure and very holy that actually reflects the glory of God and the wonder of his creation. When God's involved in a relationship, it makes a relationship so much bigger than it would be. When young couples come to me for marriage counselling, they're so excited, and they should be. It's wonderful. I don't mean in any way to mock that. But they come together, they're so excited. They know everything about marriage, so it makes my job really easy to tell them the little bit that I know. Um, and they're so excited about the day. They're so excited about all the things that lay before them. And we don't often stop to think, actually, God has made it so much bigger. Like it, it could just be about us and our love and our intimacy and our time together and, and looking into each other's eyes forever. But then God is injected into the picture and realised that he's designed it and he's put it together and he is glorified through that. And our marriage takes on a much greater and much beautiful mission. And so does our intimacy. It's exactly the same. We've got to keep moving. Six minutes and 20 has already gone past and you guys feel like you've been here for two seconds. It's amazing. Come with me for a moment. We would expect that God's creation is beautiful. Romans chapter 1. Have a look just at the passage on your screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that he has that have been made so that we are without excuse before God now we're not going to have a, a missionary sermon but the application is very very clear that God is our creator he created us all of us in his image, to bear his glory. And so it's natural that the expression of our intimacy brings glory to God as well. It's not something that we should be embarrassed about. It's not something that we should shy away from. We should see as an opportunity to bring glory to God. And the other side of that coin is that we should not misuse it. We should not see it as an opportunity to make a lewd joke, an opportunity to despise what God has given us because it is actually something very holy and something very beautiful. God has made us to reflect his image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Have you forgotten? So God created man in what image? 
in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. God is our creator. He made this. And he didn't make this so that it could serve itself and so that it could fulfill its own wicked desires. He made us so that we could fulfill godly desires and bring glory to him and our sexuality, our intimacy is part of that. Genesis 1.31 goes on to saying, God saw everything that he'd made and behold, it was what? Very good. <laughs> okay, so that's where we've got to start. We've got to redeem intimacy and sexuality from the pit that we've made it the filthiness that it has become for many and recognize that the Lord God made us and when he made us, he declared that it was good. God is pleased with what he has made. The fall has had a devastating effect on us. When he made Adam and Eve in their pure state, it was beautiful. They walked with God in the evening. They enjoyed him. They enjoyed each other and it was holy and they were not ashamed. And then Satan tempted Adam and Eve and the fall came and the curse of sin has come upon us and we have taken that which is meant to be beautiful and holy and we have made it something vile. Many of us have learnt intimacy through what we have seen and what we have heard and what we have seen and what we have heard has been totally broken and we need to redeem that. 1 Peter 1.16, and I want us to start here, says, since it is written, you shall be holy. What does it say? For I am holy. You shall be holy for I am holy. I think it's amazing that we can talk about intimacy and we can go through these passages in the light of God's holiness and see just how beautiful and wonderful they are. Let's come to your Bibles. What I'd like to do is make a few other opening statements. I'd like to take you through a couple of the passages just to explain some of the things that are in there. And then I want to conclude our time together by making four statements around how we can deal with the purity of passion within our lives. The most descriptive, yet again, the most wonderful description of the human body we find in chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. We notice that when we go through a few of the metaphors that have been spoken about previously have been described really, really well. But the one that continues to pop up, the metaphor that pops up the most, is about the metaphor of the face, and that's not surprising to us. Graham picked up on this in his message, that we see the beauty of the human face. And the reason I think God focuses on that again is that it really represents our personality. And Graham took that even one step further when we talk about being face to face with God and being known by God and be able to know God. And there's a, a deep sense of intimacy and holiness about that. And we see that today when people cover their face, when they wear masks, those guys that ride motorbikes with those skeleton masks on. I just cannot get used to that. I know that you do it, Shane, but I just can't get used to that. When we, uh, when we cover our faces, our faces are part of God's creation and they represent our personality and they are powerful and uh, God is pleased with that. This, we must remember when we come in again that we are talking about metaphors. God, uh, in his wisdom, has described the human body. And what we're going to see tonight is he's described the human body from the top of the head to the bottom of the feet and from the bottom of the feet to the top of the head. And he talks about it in the bounds of marriage and how wonderful it is. Have a look in your Bibles, chapter 7 and verse 1. We see a metaphor there of thighs. Come with me into verse 1. How beautiful are your feet in sandals, and noble, O noble daughter. Your rounded thighs are like jewels, that work uh, the work of the master's hands. 
And you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out what's happening here. This beautiful wife, her thighs are beautiful. And he says that when I look at your thighs, I'm amazed at the wonderful work of God, his creative power and how beautiful you are, the metaphor that he uses there. Come a bit further down into verse 2. Your navel is a rounded bowl and never lacks the mixture of wine. Your belly is a heap of wheat encircled with lilies. That's actually really beautiful. Um, you get uh, these lilies and uh, you bring them a heap of wheat and you tie it up and you get this beautiful shape of wheat. That's one expression of it. And gird it about with lilies. And he's just saying that your figure and the way that God has designed you is just terrific. It just works for me. I love it. And that's really what you expect any less from the God who created us in his image, that what he makes is beautiful. And of course, it appeals to us because we are made in his image. And uh, we desire those things that God loves and cares about. 7.5, have a look there at the metaphor that he uses in chapter 7, verse 4. Your head crowns you like caramel and your flowing locks are like purple. He's not saying that she's got a really, really massive head like a mountain. But what he's talking about is that the Mount Carmel, uh, when you look at it, it actually stands above all the other mountains around it, all the other hills around it. It's quite prominent. And what he's saying is, to me, you stand out in the crowd. You, you are beautiful, more fair than any other. And uh, when you're in a room full of other women, it doesn't matter how pretty they are, you're the only one that I notice. And uh, I think that metaphor, again, is just beautiful. Putting it all together... If you come down or come back with me, please, to chapter 6, he's basically saying of this bride that he has, she is altogether unique and she is awesome. He, he delights in her. I want to pause just for a moment. I had one commentator say that God has created beauty and we see in the Bible with Sarah that she was described as a beautiful woman. We see that Rachel was described as a beautiful woman. There are a number of women in the scriptures that are described as beauty. So clearly God loves beauty he is the creator of beauty but i want to redeem that statement from the idea that unless you look like sarah unless you look like this woman here or unless you are the top of the pile that somehow or other you don't have beauty that is just so untrue there's a statement that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and i i love that because i believe that god loves that and i believe that is true that there is the one that God allows you to marry, the one that whom your heart finally settles on, they are here in the Song of Solomon. They are beautiful. And when you walk into the room, you see their face. When you walk into the room, it's them that you notice. When you are joined to them in marriage, everything about them, as God has designed it, becomes a beauty and a treasure to you. I think that is just, don't you think that's wonderful? Isn't it great that God hasn't just said it's just Barbie and Ken and all the rest of us are just stuffed? <laughs> He's saying that those ones are whom God turns your heart to, whom he raises up for you, they are the one whom you can delight in. And this is why we need to redeem our intimacy and our sexuality from the pit because the pit says something very different. And I don't really want to go into that. But have a look how unique she is. Chapter 6 and verse 8, There are 60 queens and 80 concubines and virgins without number. My dove, my perfect one, is the only one, the only one of her mother, pure to her, uh, pure to her who bore her. The young women saw her and called her blessed. The queens and the concubines also, they praise her. She to him is the only one. 
this is the way that God has designed it. That as we read in the book of Romans, that true intimacy in marriage, when it's been redeemed by the gospel, it is an overflow of the working of the Spirit of God in our lives where he puts the love of God into our hearts. And that love is not for us to confine to ourselves, but it overflows to those nearest and dearest and furthest from us even. And so much more in marriage, it's not just a matter of us mustering a love for one another, it's actually the divine work of the Holy Spirit in us that enables us to love one another. When you come into this passage, we're talking about a mature couple who have moved on their years in marriage, and yet for him, she is still beautiful, and to her, he is still her prince. This is the work of the Spirit, this is the work of the gospel when we talk about our sexuality and our intimacy. Not only is she unique to him, but have a look down at verse 10. She's awesome. Okay. Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? <laughs> I think you get the first two. You know, like he's saying to her, like, like, you are just more beautiful to me than the moon, and how beautiful is a full moon. You are more beautiful me than to me the sun and the sun which gives us life and warmth. You bring all those things into my life. And uh, I delight in you. And then he rocks this one out. You are like a, an army that unfurls its banners. And most of us in this society think, well, that's pretty cool, but what's that mean? <laughs> and I think the imagery that the writer of Song of Solomon is, is aiming at here is that for him, his wife, when the army comes out and it unfurls the banners and the music plays and they chant, there's a, a real sense of awe and there's a real sense of it takes your breath away, the, the power of it and the prominence of it and the authority of it. And he's saying the same is about you. You just delight me so much at times you take my breath away and you create within me an awe. And not just an awe for you, but it, the, the parallel here is that what happens when I look upon you is I marvel at what God has done. You create within me an awe not only for you, but much more for God who has given you to me. You are to me a wonderful delight. You are unique and awesome in every way. It points to the Creator. This is the, the wonder of the Song of Solomon. We can read it as, we, like when Jeremy led the first message out, he, he inadvertently said, gee, I'm glad I'm not preaching chapter 4 because it gets pretty, pretty steamy in chapter 4. And I was sitting down the back, the amount of heads that went down on the Bibles that flicked through to chapter 4, like they didn't hear the next 10 minutes of his message. They were speed reading chapter 4. We, we, have a, we have this propensity for wanting to, to find out the, the gossip. We want to find the inside line. We, we want to know about the, the things that perhaps sometimes we shouldn't know about. And we need to stop from that. And we need to come back again. And we need to lift this passage up. And we need to hold it up and recognize it's been written by a holy God. And it's meant to draw attention to him. When we look at God's creation, and is there any greater of God's creation than humanity? We look at the hills and the stars and the moon and the sun and some of the landscapes around and they frankly are breathtaking. Don't you agree? Just you cast your mind to some of the stuff you see in the Flinders. I've never been to Canada but I've seen many photos of some of the mountains in Canada and they are breathtaking. And if any of you feel compelled to give us enough money to go there, we will take that as from the Lord. <laughs> These things are, but there is nothing, nothing as beautiful as the ones who have been created, Genesis 1.27, in the image of the living God. Okay? That's you. You are beautiful. And when you serve the Lord, 
you reflect his wonder and glory and people look at you and they see your beauty and they are moved to give glory to God. This is why God designed us this way. And this, our intimacy is part of that. The way we function as husband and wife is part of that. The way you function as a single person is part of that. And I'll explain that a little bit further as we go on. We are the pinnacle of God's wonderful creation. Man, we have got so much to cover. Come with me just momentarily. I just want to make a few more comments and then I want to take you to, uh, down towards a conclusion. Come over with me, please, in the chapter 7 and verse 1. How beautiful are your feet in sandals is a, is a wonderful expression. My understanding of this is that in the time when you had servants, you would not give them sandals and that way they were confined to the home. It was really giving someone sandals was basically saying, I trust you to go out, I trust you to do stuff. I trust you that I can allow you to go to places and uh, I love you so much and our love is so genuine and our communication is so great that I trust you. And so therefore he speaks about her sandals. Who would have guessed that, that that would be important? But this beautiful mutual relationship they have together. Come down to verse 6. How beautiful and pleasant are you? One, O loved one, with all your delights, your stature is like a palm tree. This man is delighting in his wife and the way that God has wonderfully, wonderfully created her. Down in verse 11, Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields and, and lodge in the villages. Let us go out early in the vineyards and see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. Pomegranates are just awesome things. Uh, a lady across the road when I was a young lad had a pomegranate tree and we used to raid it. Um, she didn't like that. She used to chase us, but we used to go and raid her pomegranate tree. And you would, uh, they would come beautiful and red. I don't know if you, how long you've seen a pomegranate, but they become very, very red, beautiful. And he speaks about her face being, her cheeks being like the pomegranate, this beautiful affection he has for her. But then we see the pomegranate cut open. I don't know if you've cut a pomegranate open, but inside are, are lots of little seeds and they are a, just a beautiful fruit. I love, I love a pomegranate. I love pomegranate juice. And I think the impression here is that uh, it's speaking not just of her appearance, but it's saying that she is a, a woman who is fertile. She's a woman who is of an age of being fertile and speaking about how God has wonderfully, wonderfully made her. There I will give you my love. The mandrakes give forth their fragrance, and beside our doors are choice fruits, new as well as old, which I have laid up for you, O my beloved. Come down into verse eight, sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. Oh, that you were like a brother to me. Did you hear the violins just go out of tune then? Like, um, that's got to be the worst. I can't imagine kissing my brother, and uh, it's just not going to happen. Okay? I do kiss my sons on the neck occasionally when I'm feeling it. I think it creeps them out, but when I feel affectionate towards them and want to show that I love them, um, and they just have to put up with it because I'm dad. But here, this beautiful expression is actually what happened in the this time and this generation was that when you were out in a public place, the only person that you could kiss in a public place was a brother or a sister or your mother. And so you could be affectionate to your family, but it was inappropriate to be affectionate to your husband or to your loved one. That was, just, that was meant to be kept indoors. And so she's saying, my love for you is just so great. I would love to go out into the public place amongst my friends in the marketplace, and I would like to show that you are mine and that I love you by kissing you in that place like I kissed my brother and my sister. That's how much you mean to. It's really beautiful, isn't it? 
really, really divine. I found you outside and I would kiss you and none would despise me. I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother so uh, who would uh, teach me. I would give you uh, spiced wine to drink and this is a, a wine that was designed around celebration. Uh, it was again a wine that points towards fertility and the blessing that God has given to us as married couples to enjoy the, the blessing of children. His left hand is under my head and his right hand embraces me. And the intimacy of being able to draw close to the one you love in a private place and this beautiful sense of nurturing and protection that comes with that embrace is very, very beautiful. There is safety and security and honour and protection and gentleness in that picture. Not the filth that we see and hear about where our desires become so distorted that all we think about is ourselves and satisfying ourselves even to the point of harming another. That is not the picture we have here. The picture we have here is one of tenderness, one of great communication, one of expressing care for the other person's needs before your own. Verse 4, I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, that you do not stir up or awaken love until it's the right time. And I want to touch on that now. I have four things that I want to share with you as we close. Four things about passion that I want to say. Firstly, and you'll see that up on the screen, pure passion is patient. Verse 4, chapter 8. I beg of you, daughters of Jerusalem, don't stir up intimacy before the right time. I'm basically saying that the passion is patient. It waits for the opportunity where you are married so that you can express your passion in a way that honours God. Do you remember that we're made in his image and that we are to be holy and that our sexuality and our intimacy is not ours to use at our will, but it is used in a way that brings glory to God. And the way that God has designed that to bring glory to him is within the bounds of marriage. And the reality is that he's wired us all for pleasure. And we need to be very, very wise that when we are not married, that we don't put ourselves in a situation where we stir those things up and we end up getting run down by our own train and dishonouring ourselves and dishonouring the Lord. And you know that that's a very real temptation today. So pure passion is not out of control. Okay? Pure passion is patient and it waits for the right time. This is, this is preferring the needs of another before yourself. Pure passion is patient. Have a look at Genesis chapter 2, 24 and 25. Therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. And here Adam and Eve are joining together as husband and wife and that is the place to express the intimacy that is spoken about in this beautiful song. That's the place that God has designed our intimacy to function as it should be. And it brings glory to him in that. God has not asked you to do something that you cannot do in his grace. God is not expecting you to bite your tongue off and grit your teeth and to constantly stand under a cold shower. God's grace is for us and with us, those of us that are single in this situation. There's not an impossibility by any stretch of the imagination. Pure passion is pleasurable. Second P, there's only four, so we're moving very, very well at the moment. Pure passion is pleasurable. Desire and passion are God's creation and therefore they are good. <laughs> okay? Praise God for that, that he has designed these things. And within the confines of marriage, these things are beautiful and meant to be enjoyed. But they are easily misused when we are motivated, motivated by a lack of significance, 
by a lack of self-worth, when they are, the motivation is purely self-serving. These are, the, these are the big ones with significance, self-worth, security. Oftentimes, we are seeking what we think is love and affirmation, which becomes distorted, and we end up involved in things that we should never be involved in. We end up approaching intimacy way before we should. We end up misusing intimacy as a way to meet a deeper need that is actually meant to be need in, uh, met in our relationship with the living God. God doesn't want us just to bite down and grit our teeth. God wants us to find a full expression of our sense of self-worth, significance and security in our relationship with Him. And then it's out of that place that we're able to give ourselves properly to one another. It's out of that place that when we are involved in intimacy, it doesn't become self-serving. It actually is used another, to serve another person. It becomes holy, something that God is pleased with. Have a look again in your Bibles. Actually, it'll be up on the screen for you. He speaks about this so beautifully, verse 9 to 3, and your mouth is like the best wine and goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over the lips and teeth. I am my beloved and his desire is for me. There's a real sense of uh, security here. She is expressing that I am my beloved's. I belong to him. He belongs to me. And within those bounds, we are able to enjoy all that God has designed us to enjoy. Come, my beloved, let us go into the fields and lodge in the villages. Let us go early into the vineyards, see whether the vines have budded, whether the grape blossoms have opened and the pomegranates are in bloom. There I will give my love. There's a real sense of privacy here. Not lauding what they have or misusing the gift of intimacy in marriage but finding the right time the right place privacy so that they can express what God has given to them going a bit further on into chapter 8 looking for her beloved oh that you were like a brother to me who nursed at my mother's breast if I'd found you outside I would kiss you and none would despise me I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother she who used to teach me, I would give you spiced wine to drink. And the picture here is, again, of one of intimacy, but it's not one of intimacy that's being disclosed to others. They've actually been away somewhere private, and now they've come home to her mother's house where she would normally lodge and where they have privacy and safety so that they can give each other to themselves in that privacy and glorify God in that. The passion is a gift from God. And it's meant to be like drinking a fine wine. I'm not much of a wine drinker, but I do enjoy matured cheese. So I was trying to find an illustration, but it just falls off, doesn't it? So, yeah. Okay. Pure passion, the third point. Pure passion um, protects against impure passion. I have a few thoughts on, I want to share with you. Very clearly, right off the bat, early in Exodus, God says, you shall not commit adultery. Now, you don't have to be much of a Bible scholar to work out when you read through God's word that he's designed intimacy to be within the bounds of marriage. I've touched on that. And when it's not within the bounds of marriage, God doesn't just close his eyes to it and wink at it and say, look, I understand. God says, no, you've, you've got outside of my design for you. And when you get outside my design for you, it's not only bad for you, but it does not bring glory to my name. I know that your desires are deep, but what you need to do is come to me and find a fulfillment for those desires within me. Pure passion is a protection against impure passion. And I won't cover this passage in detail for the sake of time. But very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he makes it very clear that we are to enjoy each other within the bounds of marriage and that we are not to withhold from one another. 
but actually we are to find delight in serving one another within that. And not to withhold so long so that we are tempted by the world to misuse what God has given to us. Douglas O'Donnell says this. Douglas O'Donnell has written a beautiful commentary on the Song of Solomon, a very, very clever author and commentator. And he says this. Douglas O'Donnell says, For me, studying and teaching and applying the song, uh, the song's wisdom to my marriage has increased intimacy at every level. I have never been more happily married and this increased intimacy decreases the draw of temptation for me. Now, I've got to tell you, I agree with that, and I don't agree with it. There's a part of me that that really irritates, and there's a part that really blesses. I have men come into my office, not men in this church, but visitors to our church who have been broken before me, and women for that matter, who have not held to the bounds of holy matrimony within their expression of intimacy. And I've even had some people say to me, the reason I strayed was because I wasn't being cared for at home. And I could have tell you, every part of that makes me angry. Because that's just rubbish. That's just a stupid excuse. God has given you the gift of intimacy and with that he has given you his spirit and he's given you everything so that you can use it in a way that honours him and you can never ever blame anyone else for misusing your intimacy yeah. it's yours to give and no one else's but there's no doubt that there is a tremendous comfort when we understand the need that we have created this is why he says oh daughters of Jerusalem don't don't open the door to intimacy before you are married because it is like a fire and it will consume you and you will do things that you never thought you could do. And similarly, we need to be careful that when we have opened the door to that fire and we've enjoyed intimacy, that we are very careful to care for each other so that we don't put each other in temptation's way. Psalm 37, I want to say this about this. Psalm 37, 3 and 4. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you... Okay. Single people, are you hearing this? Because we can think that like we're all being ripped off because we're not married and nothing could be further from the truth. There's probably a good argument that you're actually in a stronger spiritual position than those who are married. But I want to tell you that your desires of your heart are not meant within the, the bounds of marriage and intimacy alone. They are met first and foremost in your relationship with the Lord. As you meet with him, he will meet the desires of your heart. And then you move into a marriage situation able to give what the Lord has given to you. You don't move into a situation and have a, a real deep want in your life and you're hoping like crazy the other person's going to meet that need. That's not a good way to get into marriage. And that's not the way that God designed it to be. I want to say to you that intimacy is a gift from God. And it's good. And every one of you have been given that. But more than that, you have been given the indwelling spirit of God and the presence of God. And as you worship him and walk after him, he will delight your heart in ways that you have never imagined. And you will bring glory to him. There is nothing more beautiful than a couple who loves God and uses their marriage to bring honour to him. Finally, as we close, pure passion is a promotion of the passion. Do you get that? The passion of Christ is... The, the passion that God has given us and the promotion of that promotes the gospel. It speaks primarily about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
when you live as though Christ is the bridegroom, it is the most tangible, touchable, visible form of the good news. When you as a single person conduct yourself in the workplace and you do not act in a promiscuous manner, but you restrain yourself and you honour God and you believe God and therefore you live your life in a way that reflects that, you are an incredible testimony to everybody that comes in touch with you, everybody that sees you. You bring glory to God because what you have done is you've submitted yourself, your intimacy, your sexuality to the living God and you've put Him first. And you bring as much glory to God as does a married couple. Nothing more beautiful than a married couple, a mature married couple who still hold hands, who embrace, who kiss, who clearly love one another. There is nothing more honouring. And what it does is it lifts our eyes to the Creator and we acknowledge you've created us in your image. You have sent your son to die for us on the cross. You have redeemed back our intimacy and our sexuality so that we can bring glory to your name in this. Marriage is much bigger. Intimacy is much bigger than us just meeting our needs. It's a way that we promote the gospel. Pure passion is a promotion of the passion. My father, um, this is a quote from Augustine, my father's supremely good beauty of all things, uh, beautiful, Speaking about the Heavenly Father, but we could easily speak about the Lord Jesus Christ the same way. God's Word teaches us that all creation, especially the beauty of the human body, points us to the beauty of the Lord, our Creator. He is beauty of all things beautiful. He is the one who has given us. He's the one who's made us. And we do not live for ourselves. We live for Him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that just doesn't it just rock your world that God didn't remain silent about our sexuality? That God didn't just think, well, I just like that's too embarrassing. Somebody in the church is going to blush, so I better take it out. Okay? But no, God, because He is God and He's so altogether wonderful and marvelous, reaches in and writes a book called The Song of Solomon. And it's so descriptive and so intimate that we find it difficult to read. But when we read it in the light of the gospel, we see that God has redeemed our bodies and redeemed our sexuality and elevated it to a place of holiness where God is glorified. Isn't that that marvelous? What a hope that is for the brokenness in this world. How many of us have stumbled and fallen at this place? How many people in our community right now are drowning because of a distorted and broken desires around intimacy? And who has an answer for it? The Lord Jesus Christ has an answer for it. And what is that answer? That answer is you. That answer is you as you live before the Lord in a manner that reflects that He is holy, therefore you are holy. What an honour we have to be messengers of the gospel. And to show people by not judging them or looking down our pious noses at them, but by living freely and wonderfully and joyfully in the intimacy that God has given to us, whether single or married. Let's pray. You've been very patient. Thank you. Father, thank you that you made us. And thank you that that statement is profound. Thank you that the gospel... It's not just about my salvation so that I can go to heaven, but you have saved me and redeemed every part of me. And you have made every part of my life, which was once broken and vile, you have made it something beautiful. And I thank you for the gift that we all have 
the Lord Jesus Christ and how he fulfills every need and every desire in our lives. And if you have called some to serve you in singleness, that beautiful gift of honoring you in a holy manner brings glory to your name, and I thank you that you satisfy their deepest needs of their soul. I thank you for the gift of marriage and that even in the midst of marriage, we need you more than we need each other and that you have given us that. Thank you so much for your graciousness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.